Yeah, good morning, Rich Point Church. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Are you awake after that one? I hope so. Man, listen, if, if you were late this morning, we gave you an extra hour of sleep last night, and we moved the service back 15 minutes. So if you were late this morning, there's like no hope at all. Uh, man, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but that got you. Hopefully you're awake, you're alert, alive. We are so excited to be here this morning. If you would, turn to someone next to you and say, I am really glad to be here this morning. Now, turn to the person who just said that to you and say, you should be, you're sitting next to me. <laughs> man, <laughs> some people are like, I can't do it, man. <laughs> we're glad you're here. Even if, if you're in it, we're glad you're here. We're excited to be here. I love my church Sunday. We're really celebrating today a lot of stuff. We had Trunk or Treat last night. We're going to give kind of a full report next week, kind of what we saw, some things we experienced. But great job by everybody involved. The trunks were a blast this year. Everybody did a great job. Great way to connect with the community. We're going to talk about follow-ups, some things we can do to reach out in our community in the coming weeks. Uh, today, the baptisms, excitements, and things that are happening. And here's the thing. We have been working hard over the last series, Transformed, which wrapped up, wrapped up last week, at saying we want to develop a culture of two things here at Ridgepoint Church. A culture of celebration. Listen, as, as the band was, was down front, I was about to go straight Pentecostal down here. Like, I was really excited. The band was getting into it. Some, like, yeah, we have some energy, excitement, enthusiasm. We want to celebrate greater than the two Davids celebrated the Gators win yesterday against Georgia. Yeah, like, like there are some, so these guys right here are huge Gator fans that are celebrating. Listen, it's a football game. I was excited too, but much more important is what's happening here on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. We want there to be a culture of celebration and also a culture of invitation. You never know the people you come in contact with. You never know their story. And had it not been uh, Jess reaching out and talking to some friends and, and, and inviting them to church, who knows where their life would be now. We never know the impact we can have if we develop in our life the idea, man, we are seeing God at work, and we want to see other people get plugged into that. Uh, so this week, we kind of kick-started some new things with the VIP experience for our guests. Invite your friends out and say, listen, we have... Just for you, yesterday I had a chance, someone was walking by one of the tents. She had no idea who I was other than I was wearing another one of these shirts. And she said, what time are your services tomorrow? I said, man, we would love to have you here. 1045, if you come, there's a special parking space just for you. Come be a part of the VIP experience. I share the whole thing. And she heard some really good things in the community. We want to be about doing that on a regular basis because we want to hear story after story like we heard this morning. Uh, someone said it this way. They said, every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to Jesus. What we celebrate when we see these stories is a celebration. Man, we never know where people's lives are at. And we have a chance to interact with them, whether it be at work, whether it be in our family, whether it be neighbors, whether it be just a stranger we run into. We never know how our lives could intersect in such a way that because something we do or say reaches them with the great news of what Jesus has done. And really, that's what this series is all about. Today, we launch out on, on a new series called Control Issues. And, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people that have been following Jesus for a long time, who say, I, I want to do right, and, and maybe it's in your family relationship, maybe you're there in marriage, and, and they say, I want to do right, and, and I'm doing really well, but, but then my wife or, or my husband does something, and, and I thought I had it all under control. But then something happens, sometimes the smallest thing happens, and it sets me off. You see, control is often won or lost in the smallest of battlefields. And that's what this series is about, is sometimes control is won or lost in the smallest of battlefields. When I was five years old, 
I, I looked up to my cousin. I had a cousin who was quite a few years older than me. He played college basketball. He was a big, tall guy. He's a big, red-headed guy. And I just really looked up to Edward. Uh, he's one of my heroes of my life. And, and he invited me one summer. He said, hey, why don't you come up to, to, to New Jersey where they lived and, and come spend a week with us. Here's the thing. I was five years old. And my cousin calls me up and says, hey, we'll pay if you'll fly up here. My parents were crazy. They allowed me to do it. At five years old, I flew. It was a different era altogether, but they could drop you off at the terminal. And then my uncle was there to pick me up. And, and, and so I still was not sure about this whole thing. And Edward convinced me. He said, JJ, what's your favorite baseball team? Well, back in 1980, my favorite team was the Philadelphia Phillies. It would never be the case now. But back then, that was my favorite team. And so I said, the Phillies, man, Mike Schmidt, Pete Rose, all those, I want to watch the Phillies. And he says, if you'll fly up, I live two hours from Philadelphia, we'll go catch a game. And so that's all it took. I said, okay, I'm in. So, so I, I fly up there, and I spend a week in, in New Jersey, and I hang out with my aunt and uncle, and I'm spending a lot of time with my cousin, going to some college classes with him, and I love the experience. But they lived on, on a lake in New Jersey, a lake called Lake Hopatcong. And I remember my, my uncle had a boat, and he was really seasoned out on the water. And so a couple of times that week, we'd just go out on the, during the day and just go out on the boat and just kind of drive around the lake, just as a family, having a good time. And the second time we went out, he turned to little five-year-old JJ and said, JJ, you want to ride on my lap and drive the boat? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course I want to do that. And so he sat me on his lap, and I'm kind of steering the boat up on his lap. And he has it throttled way down. We're not going very fast at all. And I'm kind of steering the boat. I'm doing pretty good. And he, Gives a little bit more, gives a little bit more. And then as we're driving, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden he told me, turn real quick to the left. Well, his definition of quick and my definition of quick were vastly different. Because we're driving fairly quickly at this point, and I just did one of these. And, and we're driving like this, and next thing I know, we're like sideways. And I look over to my cousin, who I'm now like above him, he's below me. <laughs> And I thought he was going to fall out of the boat. Like, it was that bad. And, and I learned a valuable lesson that day that, that sometimes the steering wheel, which is connected to a rudder, has control of this boat and takes the smallest of movements, and it can alter the course of, of your day real quick. That's how life is a lot of times. When we start to lose control, even when we're well-intentioned, even when we mean well, we're doing really well in life, and, and we're starting to figure out this following Jesus. i still got a lot of room to grow, but I'm starting to figure this out. And, and it seems like my, my marriage is doing better, and, and it seems like I have control. And then all it takes is a couple of things to, come, to go off course, and everything can start to fall apart. Well, fortunately, guys, I want to give you some pointers. I want to give you some, some things you can do to, to start to regain control of your life or to gain control of your life for the first time. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open, the, open up to the book of James. And if you've been with us throughout this year, uh, we do two things at Ridgepoint Church when it comes to series that we're kind of going through. Uh, the first thing we do, like our last series, we do, sometimes we do topical series where we focus on a particular topic. The last year was focused on being transformed. And we said we want to talk about healthiness in seven key areas of our life. And it's kind of a topical series. We pick scripture from different places and, and we point out to go along with that topic. Uh, but also we think it's really valuable from time to time to go through maybe a book of the Bible. We'll call it exegetically going through verse by verse. Or, or maybe it's a, a section like we did last year, Sermon on the Mount. We'll go verse by verse through that. Just to give us a full complete picture of what Scripture is teaching. When we pick out verses here and there, it's hard to get a full snapshot of what is that book teaching. And so this year, kind of slowly, because we're in November and we're only getting to James chapter 3. But we've been trying to go through the book of James. We're going to speed it up the next couple of months going through James chapter 3 and 4 in the next couple of months. But in James chapter 3, uh, to give you a little bit of the backstory, you don't have time to give the whole backstory. Go back and listen to prior podcasts when it comes to the book of James. 
Um, but when it comes to James, a little bit of the backstory is that James is, is the half-brother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph had other children. Uh, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. He didn't have a biological father. And so Mary and Joseph have other children. And James is one of those, those children. How many of you right here, you are a younger sibling? You have an older sibling. You're the younger sibling. How many of the younger had an older sibling who it seems like they always did things right and never got in trouble, and it wasn't the case for you? I think a lot of times we see that. Can you imagine? Go ahead and put your hands down, because sometimes there's like a complex involved with that. Imagine the complex if Jesus was your older brother. That's what James was dealing with. Like, Jesus was his older brother. He never did anything wrong. And so, legitimately, we can find in Scripture, James wasn't a believer early on. But as he grows up and he sees Jesus die and, and, and the resurrection, he sees all of that. He becomes, not only does he become a believer, but he becomes a leader, a pastor in the church in Jerusalem. And he becomes really passionate about saying, I know that I've missed this for a lot of my life. And so I want to make sure that for him, his church, he wants to make sure his church understands that there's a direct correlation between the faith that we say that we have and the way that we live our life. He says, faith without works is dead. We talked about this in a couple, a couple of months ago in a series. Faith without works is dead being alone. He is not saying that we're saved by faith and works. We're saved by faith alone. But he is saying we're saved by a faith that works. Once we have faith, it of necessity begins to change. If I become a follower of Jesus and I say for five years I want to follow Jesus, and five years later my life doesn't look any different than it looked five years ago, then we're not really becoming more and more conformed to the image that Jesus has for us. We're not becoming more like him. So James is writing to to people in his church saying, listen, we have to start to get this. And the first couple of chapters are devoted to the idea that our faith and our works have to be tied together. But then we get into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, James starts to lay out this, this idea. It's not just about the actions that we have, but it's also about the words that we speak. It's about losing control, because I think a lot of people can control a lot of different areas of their life, but controlling their speech is incredibly challenging. And so James says, let's talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at James chapter 3. We'll look at the first verse uh, first, and we'll kind of go from there. But in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Many of you, not, not many of you, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So he writes us and he says, he's writing to people in his church. And if you could imagine, uh, today we have at our disposal, most of us have either with us this morning or in our homes or somewhere accessible, we have a, a copy, a full copy of the Bible with us. If not, we have, we have tablets, we have cell phones, we can have it at our disposal. On top of that, we have so many resources that are out there uh, that we can study from. We have computer software, we have all these different resources, all these books. They didn't have that back then. They were just getting the scripture kind of collated a little bit. They're bringing these letters in and they're trying to bring the whole thing together. They didn't have the resources we, they ha- that we have now. And yet there were so many people who said, I still want to find more about Jesus because I want to be able to teach about him. And James says, hold on a second. Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, there's two ways that this could be taken. When it says you'll be judged, if you're a teacher, you're going to be judged with a greater strictness. One, the first way is we could take it to say, well, if, if you're a teacher, there, there's, there's a higher level of standards of things you have to do in your life or things you can't do in your life. 
uh, if you're a teacher, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Nobody else has to abide by those rules, but, but you as a teacher has to abide by those. The thing is, we never see that in Scripture. When you become a teacher at Ridgepoint Church, we don't give you a magic decoder ring to hold up to the Bible and say, hey, we're going to give you the really secret stuff that's only for you. It's not like that. See, even though we don't, not everyone should aspire to being a teacher, every one of us should aspire to maturity. And so it's not that there's some, some secret code hidden in there that teachers, you have to live up to this standard, or that teachers or pastors, that your family has to live up to that standard. That's not in Scripture at all. But it does say that if you're a teacher and you start to make some mistakes, especially in the area of your speech, which is really hard to control, if you're a teacher and you start to make some errors in the, in the area of your speech, then there is more strictness. There's a greater strictness. In other words, the punishment that you're about to be dealt because of your errors, there's not more stuff you have to abide by, but the punishment could become more severe. Now, I want to make sure we're clear, though, before we continue. Because he begins by talking to teachers specifically, but he's, been, he's about to make it much more general. Even though he says, my brothers, we're not supposed to aspire, not everyone should be a teacher, that does not say two things. It does not say that all of us should not aspire towards maturity. That is all of our responsibility. That's just not the responsibility of the teachers and the preachers at church. It's saying that for every one of us, as soon as we make a decision to follow Christ, and then once we make a decision, we get baptized and start to really follow him, there should be maturity that's marked by that if I follow Jesus for any length of time, there should be some change in my life. We should aspire for maturity, and we should also aspire for ministry. Not everyone's called to be a teacher, but watch this. The Bible says that when we become a child of God, that the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of us, and he now gifts us, he gives us a gift for use in ministry. And that's every one of us today. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has gifted you in some way to be able to use those tools and use those resources that he has given you. He has gifted you to equip the church and to do something for God's kingdom. And so it's not saying that, well, I'm not supposed to be a teacher, so I'm not supposed to be involved at all. He's saying not everyone's supposed to be a teacher, but there are other areas for you to serve. And in fact, the best use of your giftedness is in building up God's kingdom. And so maybe teaching isn't your thing, but maybe you're the friendliest person Polk County has ever seen. And we need some people sitting out of the tent just greeting people. We need people out by the signs, by the street, welcoming people to Ridge Point Church. Why? Because God has gifted you. God's Spirit has gifted you with a gift to be a friendly face and let people... And listen, that job is just as important as anybody else in the church. Maybe your giftedness is in playing a guitar, or playing the drums, or dancing up here like... <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe your giftedness is something you're not even discovered. Figuring out, God, I know that I've become your child. What is that I'm supposed to do? How am I supposed to use the gifts your spirit has given me and enabled me to make an impact on your kingdom? Maybe it's rocking a baby. Maybe it's planning big events. Maybe it's something we haven't even thought of yet. See, we aspire for maturity. We aspire for ministry, if not for the individual area of teaching. So he sets his high bar and he says, by the way, if you're a teacher, there's going to be a greater strictness. But just in case, teachers, you got a little bit worried about that. Verse 2, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. 
It's not that as a teacher you're going to be perfect. You're going to stumble. He says, I stumble. He, as a pastor, James says, I stumble in many ways. And then he says this. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he says, everybody stumbles. Everyone makes mistakes. But if you could learn to control your speech... If you could learn to control what comes out of your mouth, it says this. He is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now look at that. I'm saying James is putting a high premium. He's saying if you could ever learn just to control one thing, if you could learn to control, if you don't stumble in what you say, then you are a perfect man, able to control or able to bridle his whole body. And so I started to ask the question, Looking at this text, I said, man, James is putting a high premium on this idea of what we say is really important. Why is he saying that this is such a big deal? A couple things real quick. Why this is a big deal. Number one, because our speech reflects our heart. Our speech reflects our heart. Watch this over in Luke chapter 6, verse 41. It says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For things are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's saying if, if you're really focused on something, whatever your heart has been focused on is what events you're going to speak about. So whatever the heart is focused on, what our speech eventually reflects what our heart has been focused on. Our meditation becomes our conversation. Every time. Whatever it is that I'm focusing on in my life, if I care about that thing passionately enough, if I'm focused on that thing passionately enough, I can't help but talk about it. You meet a young couple, maybe they're in high school or college and they're young and they fall in love real quick and, and they're spending time together and they're writing notes and doing all this gooey stuff and, and they just can't help but focus on the other person. Well, eventually the focus is so strong, they want to tell their family, they want to tell their friends. Why? Because what the heart meditates on, eventually we want to have conversations about. Our, our meditation becomes our conversation. Whatever I'm most passionate about, eventually I start talking about. If your big thing is college football, man, you devote hours every week. Like, it's not just watching football on, Sunday, on Saturday morning it's, and Saturday afternoon. It's, man, you're reading the magazines during the week, finding out the injury report. You're trying to find out all the information because that is what your life is kind of living and breathing about. Well, if you soak that stuff up enough, eventually it just starts coming out that you can't help but, but talk about those things. If your big thing is your thimble collection, first of all, I don't know why, <laughs> but if that is and you're really focused on, man, I found this thimble nobody else has ever seen, whatever it is, <laughs> you're going to talk to people, they're going to think you're weird, don't worry about it. Uh, but whatever our heart has been reflecting on for long enough, eventually it starts to come out in our conversation. And so James writes and he says, listen. I want you to know that your speech is, is vastly important because your speech is reflecting where your heart is. Second reason why it's really important. Second reason why our speech is important is because our message is key. 
Our message is probably the most important thing. Outside of actually having faith in Jesus, the message that we have is the most important thing that we possess. I want to read another passage. In Romans chapter 10, it says this. Because everything we do communicates something. It's verbal, it's nonverbal, it's conscious, it's subconscious. We all communicate all the time. Romans 10, verses 14 to 17, it says this. But how can people call for help if they don't know how to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away. Grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. But not everyone is ready for this, ready to see, hear, and act. Isaiah asked what it Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. And that's not just for the preachers and the teachers. That's for every one of us. Unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. So for every one of us, we communicate a message. The question is, what is that message in our life? What is it that we're broadcasting to the world around us? You see, I'd venture to guess most, but probably not all of us this morning, claim to possess right now faith in Christ. There might be people here who said, you know what, I'm investigating. I'm not sure about that. And we're glad that you're here. We build this specifically with you in mind. But for most of us, we'd say, yeah, I claim to possess the faith that you're talking about today. Well, the faith that we possess must be mirrored by the faith we profess. Because if I say that I have faith, but it's not the message that I'm broadcasting the world around us, then it's not a consistent message. I can come together and sing songs about God, but if it's not really where my heart is in terms of reaching people and letting them know, man, Christ has come to, to, to liberate the captives, to set us free. If that's not our message, then we're missing the point of what James is talking about. But he said our message is key. Our message is most important. I love, I love today. I love November 1st every year. And the reason I love it is because it really, for us in, in Florida, it really kicks off what is fall for us, even though it's still going to be 90 degrees all week long. Uh, don't worry about it. We're, we're in the fall. But here's why I love it. Because over the next uh, 62 days or so, I have my three favorite holidays of the year that are coming. And there's all this excitement ramped up, and Thanksgiving's coming, and then Christmas, and then New Year's. And, and I love this season. November might be my favorite month of the year, but I have a strict policy in my house. And I know other people, I've talked to other people who don't abide by this, but in my house I have one rule about this season. And that is we don't pull out Christmas music or Christmas decorations until Thanksgiving night at the earliest. Like that's when it all begins. And so people clapped in the first service. They got all excited about it. And, and, and then I said, but this year I violated that. <laughs> and they threw fruit at me. Now some people cheer though. Some people are like, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But, but here's the thing. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't cheat per se, but here's the thing. Uh, a lot of times we do in church, we're trying to listen to new music that's out there. And there's a big Christmas CD that released this year. Uh, Chris Tomlin is a worship leader, and he released a Christmas CD called Adore. It's a really good CD. But there's one of the songs in there that is sung by Lauren Daigle, who's just an exceptional artist. We sing some of her songs as well. Just an exceptional artist. 
And, and the other day I was, I was out running. I said, I just want to listen to what's out there. And so I, I, I was streaming the, the, the CD and I'm listening to it as, as I'm running, which is a whole different or, ordeal running with Christmas music on. I'm just saying it's, it's very, very different. But I was, I was into it. And it's kind of more for me, it's more background music. And I don't know why, but there's one song, Lauren Dago was singing, it was on one of her songs, and, and, and I'm listening, and just this one line, like, stopped me in my tracks. And she sang this, and she said, Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. And I, I think it was just kind of a culmination of, we had to put a lot of effort and energy into Trunk or Treat, and, and a lot that was getting set up for guest services this morning, and I love my church Sunday, and all the stuff that was happening in the baptisms, and we're shooting videos this week, and all the stuff that was going into it. And I said, God, that is the very reason why we exist as individuals and as a church. It's not to, to build up the stuff that we're doing or to add more events, but it's to say we have stories that need to be told. And God, when we share baptism videos, and, and I would love, man, for, for the rest of this year, so let's keep doing stuff like that. We're seeing people's lives truly transformed. Because when we do that, it's not to build ourselves up, but to say, God, when the world around us looks at us, we want to be able to look back to this and say, come and see, not what we're doing. But God, let the world see, come and see what you're doing. Come and see what God has done. Why? Because the message is what's most important. And so whatever we communicate, we're communicating something. Whatever we communicate has to mirror the faith that we say that we possess. And the third thing, three reasons why this is so important, why the issue of our tongue is so important, is because James knew that actions invariably follow words. Every time. So track with me how this works. He said earlier, Jesus actually said, out of an abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So because of where our heart is at, whatever our heart is meditating eventually is played out in our words. And then what is coming out of our mouth is eventually and invariably leads to our actions. So wherever we meditate becomes our words and our words become our actions. So James knew that inevitably what we talk about eventually is played out in the way that we act. That's just the way that we're wired. It's the way that we're built as human beings. What we focus on grabs our heart. What grabs our heart comes out in our speech. What comes out in our speech eventually affects the way that we act. And so our, our, our words eventually lead to actions. Picking up in James chapter 3 where we left off, he uses a couple of comparisons and a couple of analogies. Does anybody know what this is right here? I've kind of had this with me all day. Does anybody know what this is right here? One person. What is it? It's a bit for what? A horse. This little thing right here controls a horse. Now, I've never ridden a horse. anybody ridden a horse? I've never ridden a horse, but it's, it's amazing. I've seen this. And this little thing right here controls, it, it's lightweight. Like, horses weigh thousands of pounds. I would guess this might weigh a couple of pounds. And yet, this right here controls thousands of pounds by putting this in her mouth and, and by an accomplished equestrian being able, to, being able to, to, to steer the horse. This controls the horse. James knew this. And he had just talked about how our tongue controls our body. And he says in verse 3, if we put bits, this right here, into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. So he says, we put this, just like in verse 2, how your tongue controls your body because words invariably lead to actions, so the bit in the horse's mouth guides the whole body of the horse. 
So if you put that in, it guides the horse, it guides their whole body. And then he says this in verse 4, the second analogy. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he says, we're talking about how hard it is for your small tongue to control your whole body. And that seems really, really abnormal that your small, little, small member of your, of your body can control so much. So let me give you two analogies. One is a horse being, being guided by a bit that is very small, but the rider controls it with this. And then he says, and, and a person guiding a ship, though there's wind and there's seas and, and, and there's tides and all that stuff that goes into it, the rudder is what steers the ship. In fact, if, if we were to venture out right now on, on Ridgepoint Church Cruise, which sounds like an awesome idea, <laughs> but if we got out on, on a boat and, and we, I mean, it was big, had all these big jet propulsion engines and all the stuff that we, and everything else is working great and, and there's entertainment and, and all this stuff, everything is great, but there's no rudder on the ship, we're going to be lost real quick because there's no control. Well, so it is when it comes to our lives. When we try to play the part of, of followers of Christ, but there's no control over our actions because our tongue is out of control, we get ourselves in trouble. See, part of the bit that we haven't really gotten into, <laughs> literally speaking, no pun intended, <laughs> but part of the bit that we get into is, is that I've never ridden a horse, and I could probably take some lessons and learn a little bit, but they're not going to put me up on a real strong horse because I don't know how to control a horse very well right away. But if you put this bit attached to some reins in the hands of an accomplished equestrian, they're going to know exactly what to do to steer that horse. And if you put five-year-old J.G. in charge of a boat and say, go turn the wheel real quick, you don't know what's going to happen. But in the hand of a seasoned veteran captain, he's able to guide that ship smoothly. And so it is when it comes to our faith. We have to mature in significant areas to start to gain control of those things. If we have control issues, it's because we've never learned how to control our tongue or our anger, or we've never control, learned to control where our heart is. Because it says at the beginning of verse 5, So also the tongue is a member, yet it boasts of great things. Good or bad, it boasts of great things. The tongue can be used for powerful things, or the tongue can be used for very damaging things. The choice and control is up to us. So how do we get there? What are some practical things we can do right now? What are some practical things? Real quick, four things. Practical things you can do right now to begin to change the course when it comes to control. Number one, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Men especially, we need to learn this one. Because I know a lot of guys who will listen to someone's problem for like a short amount of time. But they'll be right in the middle of sharing a story like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And they'll start to be pouring out their hearts. And already we think we know the answer. Like they're halfway through. We're like, I already got you. Stop what you're doing right there. Like, like I know the answer already. And they're like, I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. <laughs> like I'm just getting warmed up. And we're so quick to respond. Or have you ever done this before? Say that you're at a party with a bunch of your friends. Maybe you're at a Halloween party. And there's someone there who's sharing just a, an hysterical story. Like everybody's laughing. All your friends are there. They're having a good time. And they're sharing a story. And you know that you have a story that trumps their story. Like, your story's better, it's funnier, and you are just waiting for a lull in the conversation to jump in and say, oh yeah, I got a story for you. But what happens is, you're hearing the story that they're sharing, but you're, you're not really focused on their story anymore, because in the back of your mind, you're starting to rehearse your story. 
Because you know if I tell the story just right, man, the whole crowd's going to laugh at this one. And we're so quick to speak and we're slow to listen that we wait. And then there's that pause in the conversation and you jump in and you, oh yeah, I got a story for you. And everyone doesn't laugh nearly as much as you thought they would. You know why? Because they're already thinking about their story they're going to tell. Like we all do that. Because we're so quick to speak and we're slow to listen. Flip back just a little bit in James chapter 1, verse 19. We went through this a couple months ago. But James 1.19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why do we lose control? Because we don't do that right there. We're not quick to hear. We are quick to speak. And we're quick to speak. Sometimes we're prone to anger as well. So he says, flip that around for a second. Be quick to hear. Be quick to listen. Be that listening ear. I can't tell you the number of times that I sat down as a pastor, as a youth pastor. And I'd sit down and someone's like, hey, I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I need help in this area. I'm like, okay, well, sit down and tell me what's going on. And they just begin to pour out their heart of what's going on. And really, I, I don't even know what to say in that situation. Like, they're, they're coming up with these really heavy stuff. And, and, and then we get done, and, and we, I'll ask questions, and I'll try to interact with it a little bit. And we'll get done. We're like, thank you, I needed this so much. I'm like, I don't even really feel like I did anything. I think for a lot of us, we're not looking for someone who's ready to give advice really quickly. We're looking for a sounding board, because God has gifted us to figure things out. We just need someone willing to listen, so we have someone we can kind of spew it all out there to share. Be quick to listen. Be that listening ear. Slow to speak. Pray for wisdom when you have words to give. But be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Second one, and this is really important. We're trying to learn to be in control. Filter what you put into your life. For some of you, it means put a heavy filter on what you allow in. Because we've been talking about this idea that at the very beginning, if we guard our heart, what's in our heart eventually comes out in our speech. What comes out in our speech eventually comes out in our actions. So it begins by saying, God, way back here, before that whole conversation begins, I have to back here apply a filter in my life to guard my heart. What is that filter for you? I don't know. That's something you've got to pray and say, God, what is it right now in my life? that is producing anger, that's producing control issues. What are those things? And it might be for you, man, it might be movies that you're watching right now. And it's not to be legalistic and say you can watch this and can watch that because I don't know what it is for you. But if you know that there's an outcome in your life that you want and you're not accomplishing that outcome, then there's something, back that train way up and say, what is it back here that's producing the anger and producing the control issue? And let me learn how to filter that out of my life. And it might be the media that you allow, and maybe it's listening to a certain style of music, man. It just gets you mad and angry and out of control. It might not be that everybody has to do it, but for you, where you're at right now, it might be saying, I need to, to filter that stuff out of my life because I know that if I keep letting that in my heart, it's going to come out, and I know it affects the way that I think. I know it affects the way that I speak. I know that it eventually affects my actions. So it begins with me saying, i got to apply an aggressive filter in my life to make sure I filter those things out of my life. For some of you, maybe it's social media. Probably the best thing you can do, if you're spending a ton of time on Facebook right now, probably the best thing you can do is filter that out altogether. You know why? What I've seen is by observation is people use Facebook and other social media for one of two things. Either to brag about how great their life is or to complain about how terrible their life is. Over and over you see it. 
And you see, people that brag about how great their life is, and it makes us want, man, I wish my life was like that. Like, we can play the comparison game. And listen, their life isn't really like that. They're putting the highlights. And you think life is like that all the time. Or they grumble and complain. I listen to that for long enough, and I start to find myself grumbling and complaining. Filter out relationships. You're at work, and you have those, those people that are just constantly weighing you down. And, and, and you know, if, if you're hanging out with that person, and they're complaining about work, you're going to start complaining about work. Listen, in, in, in every business, in, in, every, in most companies, uh, here at Ridgepoint, most of the time it's just me and Chris. <laughs> Some might be a little more challenging to do this, but in, in most, most people dur- during the week, um, you're interacting with maybe 30 or 50 or 100 people. You know, there might be some people who, who love their job and are pressing forward and persevering, and, and others who, who maybe they're, they're not. And if we surround ourselves with people who are constantly negative, it's going to have an effect on our life. So we have to learn to filter those things out of our life. To say, I want to make sure that's what, what's going in is wholesome so that what comes out is even more wholesome. And it's not that we don't build relationships with them, because we should be. But saying the people that I spend the most time with, the people that I'm allowing to build into my life, have to be people who, who help me out. And if it's not, then I need to learn how to filter that. For some of my friends, Gator fans that I kind of pick on because I'm one of them, they watch Gator games, and, and watching them, they get frustrated, and they get mad, and they throw things at the TV. And that's when they're winning. Filter those things out of our life that are just destructive, saying, saying God, if, if it's going to interact, if it's going to affect my relationship with you in a negative way, then I've got to figure out a way to, to block those things out, because ultimately I want what comes out to look a whole lot more uh, like Jesus than, than, than what I've been putting into it so far. So filter what comes into your life. Third thing, remove complaining and, and belittling from your life replaced with uplifting communication. We already kind of talked about this a little bit, but if I'm not surrounding myself with people that are complaining, I'm not going to complain as much myself. If I find myself complaining, it produces a heart that's discontent. I complain more, and it makes me more discontent. It, it keeps happening over and over. So if I say, instead of me complaining about the person at work that doesn't seem to get it, the person at work that seems to be the most frustrating, instead of just not complaining about them anymore... I need to find ways to use communication to lift them up. That person at work that you find so annoying that you just can't put up with. Like if you're around them for another 30 seconds, you might just combust. Instead of saying, I'm just going to ignore them and avoid them altogether and hope they just kind of go away. We say, God, change my heart for them. Change my heart. Let me pray for them. I've known people that have gone through this journey of saying, I'm really frustrated, so I'm just going to every day pray for this person. And, and you'll be amazed if you pray for that person every day for a couple of weeks, not right away, but pray for them every day for a couple of weeks, and your heart towards them will change. And then on the rare occasion they do something right, <laughs> compliment, compliment them for what they did. Like, go out of your way to try to find the things that they're doing well. And it's going to change your heart. And it's probably going to shock them in the process because they know what they're doing just as well. Find a way to do that and watch your heart change. Last thing, practically that you can do is consider the power of your words before using them. Whatever it is that you're about to say, whatever it is that you're about to do, if we've applied a filter about what we put into our life, we apply the same filter to, okay, God, before I say these words, if I'm, if I'm slow to speak... If I'm not just thinking it and saying it, if I think about the words I'm going to say, or better yet, if I'm about to post something on social media, 
before I hit send, before I hit that button, I think about this. I say, God, are the words I'm about to say or is what I'm about to post reflect at all uh, a consistency with my faith in Jesus? And if it doesn't, then allow me to have the strength to not do what I'm about to do. See, I can tell you, just in the last couple of months, the amount of celebrities, the amount of athletes, the amount of, of, of people that are just popular, movie stars, whatever, that have sent out a, a, a tweet or posted something on Facebook that they took down 30 seconds after they posted it. But someone somewhere grabbed a screenshot and it just blew up around the internet. Now they're viewed as hateful or mean or, or insensitive and, and, and their whole marketing career is gone. Why? Because they did 30 seconds too late what they should have done 30 seconds earlier. See, 30 seconds later, they're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Let me take that down. 30 seconds earlier, they would have avoided a bunch of headaches and and heartache in their life. If we just slow down and say, let me be be quick to listen, slow to speak. And when I'm about to speak, let me pray. See, God, is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to post, is the advice I'm about to give anywhere at all consistent with the faith that I say that I possess. If it is, if it's consistent, then go ahead and do it. But if it's not, I'm, I'm, I have to ask the question, God, is, is what I'm about to do going to hurt your kingdom? And if it is, then allow me to stop. Give me the strength of fortitude right now not, not to speak too quickly, not to post that post too quickly, but hold back because everything that we do communicates a message. As a church, our message is, man, Jesus is alive. He comes to, to liberate those who are captives. He comes to set you and, and me free. And that's our message as a church. That's our message as human beings. And so when we go forward from here, we're saying, God, I want to find a way to figure this out. I know James even says that if we can do this, it's really hard because our tongue is sometimes out of control. But if we could do this, and James says that we are perfect men and women because we're able to bridle our whole body if we could learn control in this area. And today, we are just beginning that journey. Let's pray.